TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Bike Nerds Podcast, episode 83. For over 25 years, Saris has been designing and manufacturing bicycle parking and infrastructure products to help cities, neighborhoods, businesses, and schools become more bike-friendly. To help amplify their commitment to American manufacturing and bike advocacy, Saris rebranded this week to become the endorsing brand for all their bike-centric brands, including Bike Fixation. As part of this effort, Saris merged their parking and infrastructure brands under the Bike Fixation name. From trailheads to transit stations, Bike Fixation envisions a world of cycling products accessible anywhere two wheels can lead you. This month, you can win a Bike Fixation outdoor public bike pump. Get entered to win over at bikefixation.com slash bike nerds. Again, that's bikefixation.com slash bike nerds. And this is your... Uh, almost next to last week to sign up to win that pump. So please go over there, enter your email, and win one of these free pumps, courtesy of Bike Fixation, Saris, and the Bike Nerds. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing great. So you're preparing for the last slow roll ride in Memphis today, right? Good. Very good. Yes. This is our final freewheel ride, which is a slow ride. And I'm a little, it's a little bittersweet. Well, it's just the last one of the season, right? Of the season, of course. We'll come back in the spring. I realized through my research on how to be funny on social media that snails hibernate. Did you know that? I did not know that. And a snail is our mascot for the freewheel ride. So we're freewheel is going to hibernate for the fall and winter and we'll return. We're doing one of my favorite routes tonight as well, which is through the uptown neighborhood. Nice. Nice. Going uptown. Do you play the song with the uptown chorus while you're doing that? Uh, We'll do it while we register. So before we leave. Got it. But listen to this. Yeah. Last week, we did a new route with freewheelers, and we have a bike ped rail bridge that can get you from Memphis, Tennessee to West Memphis, Arkansas, across the Mississippi River, the Big River Crossing. I'm familiar with that. You're familiar. They also have a fantastic, like, crazy Statue of Liberty-like light show that they do just on Fridays. But last Wednesday was, like, one year from a special celebration that they did at the bridge. And so we came around a corner, and there was this gorgeous light show randomly because they had forgotten to turn off the programming. (laughs) At like six thirty on a Wednesday, and I was like, "I did this for you, freewheelers." I was gonna say, did "Look you, at this did sort you, of." Did you claim responsibility for it? Absolutely. Oh, that I'm I a love leader. That. I love that. Like, <laughs> it man, was come fantastic. On, come on, a freewheel, get a custom light show. Yeah, it was beautiful. That's amazing. How I have, literally could not have planned it better. Let me, let me ask this question: how How are you assessing the value or assessing the the success? of a program like freewheeling uh, return participants 
Okay, so people people love the idea of riding around town slowly, and they've come back more than once. Correct. Okay. Word of like mouth. That. So we have, I think, the majority of individuals that are hearing about us are hearing about us through a friend that, that has participated in the ride or has seen something on social media, or we partner with anchor institutions, so re, you know, employees of um, institutions around where we depart. Mm-hmm. And then for me, the success is the majority of the individuals participating in our rides are not people who are even closely to identifying themselves as a bike rider, even casually. Yeah. They either don't have a bike or bringing a bike that they just put air in the tires to participate in the ride. So they're utilizing a fleet. Mm -hmm. Um, but they really are kind of just slowly kind of dipping their toes into what it means to bike on the city streets of Memphis. And that's been the most encouraging thing for me is it's not your, your usual folks. Yeah. I love that. Are are you also see, is there a gradual increase in the number of people participating? There is, it, it really is. We're still, we're in our third season. So I think we're still figuring out, you know, what's the right frequency of rides mm-hmm. and that piece, but we definitely have a, a steady crew that continues to grow. Nice. Nice. I, I love and we that. have, we have one woman, Mary, and she has actually been on more free will rides than I have because there was one ride think in our first season that I was able to like introduce the ride, but I was so sick that I didn't actually lead the ride. And so she's literally (laughs) been to every single ride. Wow. That's amazing. Even one more than me. And now she is almost like my co-leader. She knows what to do. She bosses people around. It's fantastic. That's great. Speaking of awesome rides that are curated by you and others and introducing new people to riding bicycles. This week's guest is Arlie Greenwald and Arlie is the bike shop girl. Yes. And she also has launched a new site called bike here, which highlights low stress routes and destinations in Denver. Yeah. I, 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 you know, Arlie and I might have met in person once at a conference last spring, but she and I have been communicating electronically since I moved to Colorado and bike shop girl, you know, was sort of a blog and a website for that was sort of women focused, providing information to, to women about all things bikes, you know, doing maintenance and product reviews and experiences of, you know, what are the right questions to ask when you're buying a bicycle? And, you know, she noticed that there was a need within the bike industry to, you know, reach out to and, 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 and and sort of motivate, you know, women to, um, to have a, have a bigger voice in sort of what could be a very, uh, chauvinistic male dominated industry and and she's been a she's been a big advocate and a big activist for you know reforming the bike industry for a number of years and uh and and recently you know to to what you just mentioned she's launched bike here which is you know sort of a new take on getting people to ride encouraging and giving them opportunities to uh reduce the you know to increase their comfort with choosing places by you know going through the experiences of others and and looking at what other people are doing and joining groups and adding a, a high social level much like what you do with uh free will um Arlie was a, a great interview, and uh, I think rather than bemoan this intro uh, anymore, we should go into it. What do you think? Agreed. Hit the presses. 
Arlie, I see that you have been doing the Bike Shop Girl website and blog for over 10 years now. What's what's that been like, having sort of a project like that for a decade? I have a lot of gray hair now <laughs> when I started it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I started it when I was managing a few bike shops in Charlotte, North Carolina, and realized there wasn't a lot of women in bike shops. And if I wasn't there, questions weren't being asked or they weren't being answered well because they were being answered by guys that meant well. So I just started answering questions online because that's my background is, is marketing. And it's been really fun to watch the evolution of women cycling. Um, as we record this right now, it's November 2017, and there's a heated debate online of, you know, do we need women's product and all these other things. And as a woman that was around riding saddles that were not designed for me and bikes that didn't fit, I love the evolution that Bike Shop Girl has been a part of. And seeing, you know, I have a two and a half year old daughter and seeing the opportunities that she has in front of her that I would have dreamed to have in high school and college. Arlie, when we were kind of talking before Kyle hit record, you mentioned that you had three lives. I assumed one of those is Bike Shop Girl. What other lives do you have? Yeah, so my full-time job right now is uh, running Bike Law, which is a network of independent bike attorneys across North America. So that's a really rewarding job because I was once a crash victim and worked with a bike law lawyer actually in North Carolina. And so that's my day job. And then Bike Shop Girl specifically is is kind of growing up about two years ago when my daughter was born. I wrote an article that fortunately or unfortunately went viral that said the bike industry is sick and more women or hiring more women isn't going to fix it. And that was like my call to arms where, you know, I don't want to invite more and more women into the kind of toxic environment of the bros, the the shoddy pay, the shoddy benefits, um, you know, just the lack of professionalism that's in the bike industry. And so two and a half years later, um, you know, I've kind of been working on the side and including bike law is kind of my way to help fix the bike industry, you know, trying to protect cyclist rights. And so Bike Shop Girl is kind of growing up and becoming more of a consulting marketing agency for me. So I've brought on three clients kind of at night and on the weekends with all my available time and trying to build that up into an actual business where, you know, I'm helping bike shops build true businesses and not just this hobby or um, I like to call bike shop owners firefighters because they're always reacting and they don't always have a strategic plan or know who they're going after. So just trying to fix the pieces of the bike industry that I can be a part of. Um, You know, my background is bike industry side is a lot of brand and bike shop. You know, I used to work for QBP, which is a huge distributor and I have a lot of connections through there. So just trying to be that positive voice for bike shops and the bike brands to move the, the industry forward instead of, you know, the typical bike shop banter of 
how terrible everything is, how terrible margins are, how terrible employees are, so forth, you know, trying to actually do something about it. So that's my second life. And my third life finally is a little platform I started here in Denver called Bike Here. And that came from me documenting bike rides for neighbors. So I live in a very planned community called Stapleton, where we have, you know, hundreds of miles of bike paths and bike lanes just in our community. And people didn't know where to bike to. So my answer to that was videoing how to get to destinations. If that was the library or the new local marketplace and a local transit group, Northeast Transportation Connections, gave me funding to really start up the site where I'm showing people how to bike to destinations, um, hiring on a couple project managers to help me grow it, and really focusing on the bike as a tool to get people to places instead of the culture that we surround biking and making it more obtainable instead of um, intimidating and unsafe. Those are my three lives, plus a, a family and a baby due in January. Dang, now that's like it's like eight lives. <laughs> I get about six hours of sleep <laughs> on average. So if you ever need me, I'm I'm accessible by Twitter <laughs> until like one o'clock in the morning. Arlie, I as I as I look at sort of all of the content that you have available on Bike Shop Girl. And I, w- I want to be clear about, I, I've been referring it to sort of a blog and a website, but I, but you have reviews here. You have sort of like advocacy-oriented uh, news stories. You have reviews of products. You, you have sort of, wh- how do you sort of categorize what Bike Shop Girl actually is sort of as a, as a media product? So until two years ago, it was really more of a what you would think of like a women's cycling media outlet. You know, a lot of reviews, a lot of tips. The version you're seeing now is probably 1% of the content that it used to have. Um, I, I revolted on the bike industry and deleted my site for a while. Mm-hmm. And some reboot. Why did you I, do that? Um it goes back to like having a daughter. So having this baby and, and realizing that for the most part, the the bike industry can be a very ugly place, you know, and not wanting her to be a part of it. Um, And, and then I kind of came to my senses and realized, you know, I'm in this (laughs) and I have a unique voice. And so that was the transformation where you're seeing a lot more opinions and editorial of me just, spewing my thoughts and it's actually been very rewarding you know i'm just saying a lot of things that other people think um and trying to make them actionable instead of just bitching and moaning so now i would say bike shop girl is just my voice you know and i review a lot of product that i don't find out on the internet so Mm -hmm. you know the bullet cargo bike which was a life-changing purchase for me I was like, you know, I want to sing to the Copenhagen gods about this product because it allowed me to bike with my daughter at six months old. So that's a product that I'm reviewing. Um, For a while, I used to get in lots of products to review, and I don't want to be a bicycling magazine or a dirt rag or a bike rumor that just reviews stuff to do it so that I get traffic. Um, I don't 
need that kind of revenue and I don't need that kind of stress. And, you know, at some point you're owned by the advertisers or, or whoever's paying for it. And I decided that I just wanted Bike Shop Girl to be my voice. And it seems like it's needed. So that's been rewarding. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I I also love the importance of talking about it as a media outlet. I think that's Sarah and I should do that for the podcast. Um, sounds it sounds <laughs> it sounds very important in some ways. Uh, I, I'm wondering. I get press passes th- to random stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's <laughs> what you're definitely. A We're missing outlet, out. I know you're way ahead of us. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> the Bike Nerds Podcast Network uh, feels like that gets media passes. Uh, I, as I'm wondering, just as I'm looking at sort of the, uh, you said your background was in marketing, and you're you're sort of providing content in a, in a variety of different ways, including video um, that you're that you're putting out on YouTube. I'm curious to know, you know, did you did you start off with the basic knowledge of how to do this, or was it something that you picked up along the way as as new technology was available to you? A little bit of both. You know, I went to school for design. And realized that I didn't want to push pixels. And so I started working in bike shops. And at that time, this is 2003, um, digital marketing is free, you know, other than your time. So it was the easiest way for me to move the needle instead of continuing to buy yellow page ads. So I would say I have a background in you know, digital space. So I was very comfortable figuring it out. You know, I had a blog when you actually hand wrote the HTML to update your blog. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so, so I come from that space that I don't feel exposed to trying new things or, you know, getting on Twitter and seeing what it's about. And from there, it's just, you know, testing and, and having a hypothesis and trying to test against it. Um, so yeah, I would say a little bit of everything and Google's your friend, you know, from bike shop girls perspective, who do you hope is reading the website? Is it, is it women? Is it everyone? Is it a specific kind of person? Like who do you want your voice to reach? At this point in my life, I would say I'm really focused it focused and passionate about engaging that interested but concerned person you know and that could be anything from uh interested but concerned like i'm interested but concerned about getting into the bike industry to what all of us probably consider that typical um interested but concerned rider where they might have a bike but they're scared to ride um so i'm I'm really going after that like low-hanging fruit that most media outlets don't care about. You mentioned earlier, Arlie, that, you know, you you have offered some unique criticisms of the bike industry. I, I remember when the article you mentioned earlier was released and um, I remember I remember the old website. I remember reading it on the old website. Um, and, you know, I, you also you also mentioned that you know, sort of the bike, the bike industry can be a vicious industry. I'm, I'm curious to know from your perspective, is that, is that, is that something unique to the bike industry or is it sort of like all industries sort of exist, sort of 
exacerbates those problems and but but you're sort of tuned into the bike industry due to your you know your work history and, and your interests I think it's a little bit different you know you're hearing about it now in the tech industry and politics and Hollywood and things like that but I think what's unique about the bike industry is there's no pay right so you have to deal with it and you're not getting paid well and you probably don't have benefits have you have you seen any kind of I guess are you are you observing any change in that or I mean do you feel like you're still sort of standing alone in the criticism or is there a growing movement to sort of reform how that's how that's working I think there's movement, there's there's glimpses of light, you know, there's the new pro, I'm going to, what is it called? Pro Bicycle Mechanic Association. Mm-hmm. I think that's correct. Um, you know, where it's a up and coming nonprofit trying to create standards for bike mechanics. So they're holding classes and seminars and you can become certified at certain things. So I think that's helping. Um, but I don't see it coming from the top down where I think it needs to start. And I think more shops are offering training and benefits and figuring out the business of doing their, their work, which is helping. It's retaining people within bike shops instead of having them either move on in the bike industry or leave the bike industry. But I'm not seeing it from, you know, the powerhouses of like, Shimano or QBP or the bike league or things like that, where they really should be setting the bar of either training or education to and training and education, meaning training their own people, you know, like HR related Mm -hmm. or the other side being education to their dealers, to their brands on what they should be doing differently. You know, nobody's, I don't feel like there's a standard that people are being held against. Do you see any sort of, you know, strategies to help influence that sort of HR organizational kind of level? Um, You know, is, is bike shop girl a potential, you know, advocate to, to, to organize those, those voices to, to share kind of what a better bike industry looks like? Mm hmm. So I think the the players, to me, are going to be the ones that hold um, the consumables, right? So it's brands having higher standards for their shops. Um, you know, if that's something as simple, and this is something I'm working on, on for um, Shift Up, which is my marketing agency, is brands holding shops accountable to what type of marketing they have, what is the experience when a secret shopper comes in? So there's that piece. And then there's the piece um, in the consumer. So the, the B2B world, there's something called MAP, uh, you know, and that's just means, I forget what the acronym means right now, but it means, you know, like you can't sell below an advertised price. Yeah. Manufacturer advertised price. There you go. Um and holding people to that standards and not letting them buy until they've gone through certain training. And Shimano does that to a point for employee purchase. I think Trek and Specialized does too. But when you go to those events, they're still so product heavy. The training's very product heavy. It's not 
here's how you treat your customers right, <laughs> or here's how you sell our product the right way. It's all tech speak. And that's where I think the training should shift away from being all about the widgets and the latest product to sell and being more about building the business of bikes. So I think, again, the people that are holding the products that bike shops or brands want or want to be able to sell through, you know, like QBP could hold the brands that they carry a little bit more accountable and their bike shops that they sell to a little bit more accountable. Is there an opportunity here for women to bypass the traditional bike industry and start up their own industry in in the wake of sort of lackluster movement by by the big players? You know, for instance, should women become bike shop owners? Should they should they invest time and money and research into creating products? You know, should they should they become the suppliers or the distributors or the manufacturers? I, I I'm just I'm curious to know if if that's if that's a potential place uh, you know to sort of come into this or, or are the barriers to entry and into that kind of methodology too high for them? I think the issue with the bike industry is there's no barrier to entry. Mm. You know, and. And I mean that in like a loving way that anybody could start whatever they want. They can start a bike shop with three months worth of rent and go on terms with everyone and go in the hole and be in debt. Um, You can launch a product on Kickstarter. You can become a bike mechanic because you spent $2,000 and went to a entry level tech school. Um, You know, and, and that's concern that I have where you know, you're putting potentially teenage boys or girls on the shop floor selling high-end product after very little training. Um, so to, to answer your original question, I don't think it's like a, a male to female or woman thing. I think it's um, the industry has to change, right? Like, mm-hmm. in, And I think, for example, VeloFix and the mobile bike repair is a great example where bike shop taking your bike to a bike shop is a barrier visiting a bike shop is a barrier because it is often intimidating so they went around that you know they came up with a new vision and it's not new they just franchised it um i think where trek and specialized are going with idea that a good partner bike shop will you can buy a bike direct from trek and if you're a good dealer you'll think to myself okay that person bought online because they don't want to visit my shop okay i need to take the experience to them you know and and so maybe there's a way to reinvent the bike shop and i think that's happening with the you know the coffee and beer and things like that but in general i feel like the bike industry needs to focus more on bringing up their standards and focusing back on that experience and figuring out why people don't want to visit bike shops, don't want to buy products um, and don't, and people in the industry don't stick around. And, you know, I think there's hope with like the NBDA and things like that, but they've been around for a long time and they haven't done anything. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I don't get hate mail for that, but you know, like what is your lasting program that's helped keep bike shops in business and keep good employees around. Along the theme of improving things, 
Um, I was looking through your site and I know in September you had asked kind of how do we make women's cycling better and also did the women's cycling survey. What came out of that in terms of improving the movement or feedback from people participating in women's cycling? So women's cycling is very community focused. That's something I assumed, but the results really told me that, you know, where they're looking for people to ride with, they're looking for the events and they don't have to be women's specific events. They just need to have a a women's segment and a welcoming women's segment. And that was probably the biggest piece, you know, and then the rest was more, you know, where to me it was to get a baseline if in a year we take that survey again which is the goal does the perceived public view think people are riding more or less you know in what segments and where can we pinpoint you know so there was some open-ended questions hopefully you both took it (laughs) but you know there was open-ended questions of you know, what kind of change would you like to have? And so I went to a People for Bikes event in Madison called Places for Bikes. And when I was there, that's where I had my aha moment of, um, I started thinking about bike here. It wasn't a thing at that point. And then I started this survey and the three biggest things are, you know, women want safe places to ride. Um, they'll, more likely ride with a friend or on a route that a friend suggested and they want it to be about the experience. So those three things along with, you know, the thinking I started having at places for bikes of, you know, how do we remove this thought that it has to be about bikes, right? Like if you start talking about bikes with people, you become that bike nerd, right? And That's not how you get, right? (laughs) Um, And that's, people are intimidated often to talk to me about bikes Mm because they're like, oh, you ride hundreds of miles a day. But if they see me with my kid on a cargo bike, they want to talk all day long. If I hold a social Mm -hmm. ride or a critical mass ride, all they want to do is talk about bikes because now I'm just another mom riding bikes. And I think that's, the goal of bike here and and it's what's really fun for me is talking to people that are cyclists about bike here they just don't get it they're like okay there's strava there's google maps there's map my ride there's all these ways to find bike routes and my point is these people don't want to go for a bike ride right like they just want to go for an experience much like yelp right like you know you want to have dinner but you don't know you want Chinese. You you just want to see what the options are and where they might take you and what the ranking and ratings are. So that, I think that was the biggest thing that came out of the survey for me. Um, I'm working with a couple people to potentially launch like a women's cycling directory of like events and women's friendly rides or clubs or events like races versus casual um, but that's, as you know, I have 80 things happening already. So that's on the back burner right now. Um, but bike here was probably the biggest thing that came out of the women's cycling where I just want to talk about biking so differently. And Kyle, you probably understand from people for bikes, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not having the cycling conversation. And I think that was my takeaway from places for bikes. Yeah. It's, 
you know, it, it's, I live in Denver to everybody that doesn't know. And, and Denver to me is perfect for cycling. You know, we have decent weather. We have a grid system. So the streets, if you have a main street, there's probably a street to the left or right that's safe for cycling and just showing people how to use those and not making them feel like they have to rely on bike lanes or protected bike lanes because that's going to take so much time and making it about the carrot at the end of the experience, which is brunch or coffee or the playground. Back back when I was working in Memphis, um, you know, this, this was, you know, the idea that people are that there are a number of barriers that exist to getting people bicycling that aren't about the bicycle, right? Is, is something that wasn't, I, w- I would say when I first began working in bike shops, that was not some, that was not a part of the conversation. Um, and it definitely wasn't a part of advocacy. It definitely wasn't a part of the strategies for moving the needle on getting more people bicycle riding. But what I realized over time with working with hundreds of people in Memphis was that, the bike was like the least of their worries, you know, to, to, to your, to your point here, you know, it was about, there was like the whole thing about which route do I take, which is totally valid. You know, I see people riding on this road. Is it actually safe? It doesn't quite go to my neighborhood. How do I get to there from here? My place of work is just a little bit away from it. You know, how do I make that connection to which jacket do I wear today? Do, you know, what's the best backpack? You know, which one of these jacket, which one of these backpacks that I owned is going to be the best for me? And people that I found that were actually really progressive thinking and, you know, in the reasons about why they wanted to ride a bicycle, they, you know, they were the, the motivations behind it, you know, whether it was the environment or health or for any of the other sort of factors that that drive people to think about transportation in different ways, that wasn't that wasn't the factor. They they were totally bought in on all of those ideas. But these really practical questions about, you know, am I going to enjoy what I'm actually doing? How do I make this not a burden? Actually was was the big piece. I remember my friend Marv in Memphis who is a, a great friend and a huge supporter of cycling he'll t- he t- he'll tell you a story that it took him about 9 months to finally like you know eke up the courage to figure out how to ride the 2 miles to his place of work every day um and that by working with some friends and going on some test rides before you know over the weekend he was able to figure it out and he immediately became hooked on bicycling to work and so i love the idea that bike here is here to help remove some of those barriers could you could you talk a little bit more about the launch of bike here yeah and you're uh i want to talk to marv <laughs> yeah he's sweet. so you know the launch happened. So I came back from places for bikes. I started the survey, you know, just initially it was selfish where my background's content marketing and user experience design. So what are the problems these women are having that I could create content about? And that's really how I started bike shop girl, right? Like, do I wear underwear under my cycling shorts? Um, how should a bike fit? What's the difference between all of these bikes? How do you change a flat tire? All of these super basic questions. And I sat down with my local uh, transit to management. What are they called? Transit man management. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, and they're bike people, but they're bike people in a way that they're just trying to get people out of 
driving their car alone, so single occupancy vehicle. So they're just trying to move people differently. And they're always my guiding light in any bike work I do because their audience is who I want to be working with. And I kind of just spewed with them. Like I had a PowerPoint, like I had my pitch deck. I felt like a, you know, a startup founder. And I was like, here's what I'm thinking. I really don't know what it looks like, but would you be interested in helping? (laughs) And their aha was so rewarding to me where I was like, okay, I'm on to something. And just talking to people differently and showing them, I don't know if you checked out Bike Here, but our pilot launched in September. And the goal is really destination. So the pilot's based around this new marketplace that opened. Um, It's on the line of East Denver and Aurora, surrounded by houses, but it's becoming like the marketplace, the new uh, food hall of Denver to visit and they have so much parking issues. Like they don't have a parking garage. It's pain in the butt to visit them on the weekends. And there's bike paths leading up to it from like three sides. So it's a perfect biking destination. If I couldn't make it work there, I just shouldn't be doing it. And we launched it September tied with a big arts festival there. And all it's doing is showing people this. I don't, I hate saying safest. So I say the, the most low stress bike route using uh, some dock wording from people for bikes. Um, <laughs> so low stress, you know, it would be the one, the routes that I would take my child on if I can. And if not, the barrier is my mother. Can my mom ride on this route? Do I, would I feel safe sending a loved one on this route that is not experienced with cycling? So there are four routes from the, local neighborhoods within like three miles and a large local employer, University of Colorado Medical Campus. And the immediate reaction to non-cyclists was amazing. You know, they're like, oh, I can just follow this on my phone or, you know, you have, I have videos of the ride so they can see what they're going to experience. I have photos of the ride. Um, I have, you know, what you're going to bike to, you know, so the food and things like that. And then the second piece, which to me is targeting this interested by concern market is working with the destination. And the reason it's called bike here. So we have signs all over with cards you can take. So there's an offline piece and then working with local employers to show them like, Hey, you can give this to people so that they can bike to this destination at lunch or they can um, use this on the weekends. And to me, it's overcoming those barriers that people have to go through before trying to bike to work, because that's probably like the most stressful bike ride you could plan as a new cyclist. Like you're going to get sweaty. You have to be on time. You have to be organized. You have to pack your lunch, you know, like how about we make super easy bike rides to like target or the playground before we try to shove people out into this bike to work thing. So that started in September. The official pilot ended in November. And, you know, we've had, I can say 500 postcards were picked up within the marketplace. Um, And I think we've had over 2,500 people view the routes. And, you know, that's all organically from um, 
either picking up the cards or hearing about it from friends or we were in the news, but you know, it's not, it's not a popular website. So it's not like I have traffic from anywhere else. I think it's brilliant. So one of my lives here in Memphis <laughs> is launching along with a bunch of fantastic people bike share here mm-hmm. in our city. And two years ago, we did a ton of community engagement. And I think we thought the barriers around our conversations with community members would be about what bike share is, what, how much does it cost? I don't know how to ride a bike. And it really came through that, you know, to what you and Kyle both said, everyone really kind of got how it helped transportation and recreation in a variety of, of ways. It was like, yeah, sure. Bike shares sounds like a really good idea, but this huge lack of knowledge about, you know, this perception that, you know, Memphis is hard to bike around and that, you know, the distance of two miles takes an hour to ride your bike when actually it takes 15 minutes. And I think our, I know our sort of advisory group and stakeholders that felt pretty connected and with it were all, I think, very surprised that, um, you know, the barrier was not knowing where to go and then how to get there and also not necessarily understanding that it was actually really accessible from a time perspective. So that's being heavily built into to our program is really kind of doing exactly what you've done with bike here is really outlining routes that, you know, are low stress and clearly outline how long, you know, it should take you and, and all of those details. Sounds like I should visit Memphis. You should. <laughs> Memphis is amazing. Oh, I've been to Memphis many times, <laughs> but it sounds like I should come help you guys. Spring of 2018. Yeah, you know, so, um, just kind of talking about next steps with bike here. So to me, there's three target markets. The first one's destinations. Um, the second one is workplaces. So if they either have bikes available or are near a bike share system, showing people where they can ride during lunch. So three different routes under 45 minutes, depending how fast you are. And then the third one, which I'm really excited about, is in line with what you're saying, which is tourism. So here in Denver, you can fly in, get on a train and end up in downtown Denver, get off and there's a bike share system. Where can this bike share system take you? You know, so here's a recommended route to get to all the art museums, to all the breweries. um, And then, the, the last piece to me, which isn't marketable, but is needed, is showing how infrastructure change matters. And what I mean by that is here in Denver, we have a demonstration that's been happening for like a year and a half in southwest Denver called Broadway. Um, what is it called? Better Broadway. And it's like, a I don't know, a five block protected bike lane. And no... I mean this in a very nice way, but it's going to come across very bad. But, you know, the promoters were trying to get people to come ride the the bike lane, but it stopped. It started and stopped in the middle of a four lane, one way, really heavily trafficked street. So you would literally drive there most times, take your bike, ride the thing, and then drive home. (laughs) So... This was one of the, again, aha moments like, okay, I can document 
all the places this protected bike lane allows you to go to. And it includes a lot of the stakeholders that have been, uh, excuse me, been promoting it. So like the ice cream shop, the local coffee, the local record store, all the things along this corridor to show people how to bike there using this new piece of infrastructure. Because when advocates start talking about protected bike lanes, a couple of things happen that I don't know if you guys took my survey, but I dug in with a few users that took it, trying to figure out why they felt unsafe. And something that was very intriguing to me, maybe not news to you, but the more a city and community talks about protected bike lanes, the more unsafe people feel when unprotected streets. So, you know, these people are thinking, okay, great. This sounds wonderful, but where do I go after it? Because I'm now unsafe when I get off of it. And then the second piece is, unless you're a bike nerd, you hear a protected bike lane and you just think that is, you know, complete advocacy speak. And if you were a driver, for example, you don't get excited about like some new turning lane for your way to work, right? Like you're just looking for the quickest way to get to work. And so I think that is another opportunity for bike here, which I can't really market. It's not like I can go to advocacy groups and say, hey, give me $500 to show off your protected bike lane. But I can weave it into the routes that I'm creating so people can see how this better infrastructure affects these rides and makes it easier for them. And again, not using the word safer, but easier. And that to me was, as I mentioned, aha moment of we just need to be having those conversations so differently, you know, and, and it's not about protected bike lanes. It's about where does this protected bike lane take me and why does it matter? And what does it look like before versus now? So that's been an interesting piece of working with planners here in Denver to hear like, what's your goal and helping them change how they talk about it as well. So it's not like completely planner wonky talk and it's relatable and it's about the experiences that this better infrastructure could provide those you know interested but concerned riders yeah i'm glad you mentioned that arlie we i was just having a conversation yesterday at the office about what appears to be sort of a changing landscape around talking about infrastructure we we were actually we've actually been noticing recently that a lot of news sources when they're talking about protected bicycle lanes are, are dropping the word protected now. They're just sort of being listed as cycle lanes or, or, or some other combination. It's it's almost it's almost in some senses protected bike lanes aren't as unique as they used to be and they've become sort of ubiquitous with what's happening. And uh you know, Sarah and I have had endless conversations about, you know, how communication and the words, the vocabulary that you actually use when you're talking about this matters a lot. And it matters depending on the situation and the context that you're in. So it's a really awesome observation. I I wanted to drill down sort of, I I had a question and you sort of, you sort of went into it already, but I, I was, I wanted to know because my, my sort of like recent passion, my recent passion project has been thinking about how we turn general interest in bicycling and more specific interest in bicycling from people that are really you know, all, all the bike nerds. How do we turn sort of this desire, this want to do more into actual advocacy that creates actual change on the ground? 
you know, you sort of mentioned it sort of as, you know, as uh, through your survey on, you know, as, as, as being highlighting, as highlighting some of the issues, right? How, moving from one type of facility to another, not being comfortable or safe as you're exiting sort of, a, you know, a higher class facility. And, you know, th- how do we, how do we take this sort of like this pent up demand, which we sort mm-hmm. of see for cycling and, and turn that into actual action so that cities cities get the idea I, I, my my impression is that if cities were doing all of the right things in terms of providing safe and comfortable places for people to ride a bicycle like bike here wouldn't totally be necessary right that people would automatically get it they would feel comfortable riding anywhere and they could get to those destinations and so it feels like to some degree you know you, you're hoping and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth but you're hoping that bike here serves as a catalyst for for some change I'm just curious to know if you've thought about how you get to that point I think it requires a lot more emotional intelligence than we've applied to it, to this problem, right? So it requires you to be an active cyclist and educated about infrastructure and how to move the needle to take a step back to remember what your concerns were the first time you went for a bike ride. And I think maybe that's where you know, user experience and, and my background in user surveys and developing products for people comes in, you know, where you have to interview everyone that every type of person that's going to interact with a product before you launch it. Um, so I think it requires emotional intelligence and it requires us to, to think and act like the end user instead of think and act like an avid cyclist that doesn't care if there's a bike lane or you know, that would ride if it's 20 degrees or 100. And Kyle, I would disagree with you, which maybe is also the theme of this of this theme we're doing, is I think there's always a need for sites or media outlets like Bike Here because I think no matter how much infrastructure or how many people are out on a bike, I think you still have a, a group of individuals that that are looking for more, more knowledge to make the decision to get on a bike or to try a new path. Yeah, I, you know, my hope for Bike Here is one, a social change, that catalyst that Kyle was talking about, and two, to grow into a, a network that's more like if you were searching for a hike, right? Like you could probably go for a hike, but you want to find the best one or the one that you can take a stroller on or whatever. And in a perfect world, that's what bike here is. But I don't see that happening in my lifetime. I hope, but I don't see cycling all of a sudden being so mainstream that you can ride on any street um, and get places. And, And to that point, I think, you know, Google Maps has its place, but people still want experiences right like they don't just want um the fastest route to get someplace i agree with both of you good two of the two of the smartest women in my life at the this moment in time (laughs) only because i'm going to see my wife later and i'll have to add her add her to the (laughs) equation uh if i could shift gears using a bike pun real fast i know (laughs) 
Sorry, Sarah and I. Sarah and I made a pact that we weren't going to say shifting gears this year, <laughs> but we have. But I just did, and I, I also wanted to point out that we also said we weren't going to talk about the bicycle as a tool, and Arlie did. So we've we've broken our pact twice on this show. I love it, um, Arlie. I I I know you mentioned earlier, and I read on your website uh, that you have fallen in love with cargo bicycling. Mm-hmm. You've you've gotten the bug. And I'm just curious to know from your perspective, what's that like? Because I, I, I also um, carry the genetic uh, markers that are predict a high interest in cargo bicycling. Well, let's see my cargo bike history. I had a extra cycle free radical, I think in like 2008. And I used to go camping with it. That was pretty awesome. Um, and fast forward, I knew I wanted to carry my kid um, at a young age. And my disclaimer here is my wife is a a pediatric emergency doc. So we had very high standards (laughs) than just like (laughs) dropping a infant carrier in a trailer, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah. So I tested out a lot of them. I ended up with a front loader and it was really life changing as a parent, you know, and, and just being able to talk to my child and have her experience life on a bike at such a young age and not just, we have a trailer that I use when it's cold. Um, but she's separated, she's enclosed. I can't really hear her. Um, so it, it's been different and you know, what's fun is I think that genetic marker that you mentioned, you know, it's either viral, you know, and people are getting it, but, um, more and more average people are turning to cargo bikes and that's been really fun to see. And I, I love that. It's also a marker of where that city is with their evolution of cycling. You know, having lived in the Southeast, you know, there was a handful of cargo bikers, but they were the wonky, you know, hardcore advocates that ride places with their kids that I never would you know, like just to make a point. Um, so for me, it's fun just to watch Denver. You know, I run the Kittical Mass here in Denver. And a year ago, almost all the bikes there were demo bikes from our local bike shop, Slow High. This year, there were mostly owners of cargo bikes that had purchased it through them or other places. So it's been so fun to watch that it, it's not just you and me. It's not like just some crazy person that's going to drop two grand. It's people that really want to experience life. And, and maybe it's also just the culture of the U.S. and how people are aging and things like that. But it's such a, I mean, if you've never, well, I guess you have to have kids first, but being able to share that with your kids is so unique and so fun if you love the outdoors. Agree 100%. It's, I'm, I'm kind of like, not looking forward to the day where my kids still need to be ridden around in the cargo bike. And it just becomes me driving around an empty cargo bike with the kids following me on their bikes. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem quite as fun at the end of the day. Just ha- keep having kids. No, oh, I, I can't. No, that's you I can fill it. the cargo bike with all your star Wars toys. I've, I've got to draw the line on kids somewhere. And two is, two is plenty. <laughs> Sarah, have you, have you have you partaken in the cargo bike uh, riding yet? I love a cargo bike more for groceries. Uh-huh. 
and I want to try, I have a tiny dog that I put in a front basket or in a backpack, but I feel like he would really appreciate the, the spaciousness of a cargo bike as well. So maybe that's my next endeavor. I think so. I use cargo, my cargo bike for wine. Mm. Efficient. Efficient. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, with you, I suspect the load gets a little bit lighter as the ride goes on. <laughs> yeah, of so. course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Ar- Arlie, just sort of as a, as a parting thought here, where can people find you on, on the internet? Uh, you know, you, you have all these lives. What, what's the best way for people oh, to stay up to date with what you're doing? And how can how can they get in touch with Bike Here and potentially, you know, work with you to get it working in their city? Yeah, I want to talk to all the transit groups. That's who I want to talk to. Um, it's actually, you know, I thank you for that, but it's been overwhelming the support um, really outside of the cycling world, which is unique because that's the vacuum I live in. So thank you for that plug. But um, Bike Here is really, really straightforward. It's just bikehere.com. Um, you can find me probably the easiest online is bikeshopgirl.com. Somehow somebody stole Bike Shop Girl in like 2009 on Twitter oh. before. And they don't use it, which is really what annoys me. Um, yeah, so Twitter <laughs> and Instagram is Bike Shop Girl Com. Um, yeah, and, you know, for me, I would just love to hear, one, that people listen. But two, you know, for Bike Here specifically, that's like my startup baby right now. If you're not a cyclist... I don't know why you would be listening to this, but I really want to hear from non-cyclists or if you have that person in your life that should be riding and they're not, that's who I want to be talking to. You know, like you all have that friend, the life would be better if they rode a bike with you and maybe they're intimidated or they haven't made time or they don't have the right bike, but I'm trying to figure out what those barriers are and, and addressing them with bike here. So. Yeah. And it, my name's really unique. If you Google A-R-L-E-I-G-H, it's either me or an admiral. <laughs> to, to be clear, you're not the admiral. Just <laughs> Not yet. I think I'm the <laughs> You are on the way, though, I think. Hey, thank you so much. This has been fascinating. Uh, I'm I'm you know, happy to continue to, uh, to stay in, stay up to date with what's going on. And I, I love the idea of bike here and, you know, please, uh, let Sarah and I know how we can be of any assistance in the future. Yeah. I think it would be amazing to talk to you in a year and say like, here's all the things that we've done and here's all the cities we've expanded into. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, any closing thoughts? Just thank you so much. You're welcome so much. <laughs> Thank you for having me. The Bike Nerds Podcast is a joint production of the Bike Nerds, Sarah, and Kyle, and the OEM Network based in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit theoemnetwork.com slash thebikenerds. Want to nerd out more? Find us on the web at thebikenerdspodcast.com, on Twitter at thebikenerds, and on Facebook, The Bike Nerds Podcast. Drop us a note or recommend another bike nerd to have on the show by sending us an email at thebikenerdspodcast at gmail.com.